0: You're listening to Wealth Tech on Deck, a podcast about the future of wealth management technology brought to you by LifeYield. Here's your host, Jack Sherry. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wealth Tech on Deck. Thanks for joining us. As our listeners know, I have the privilege of speaking with industry leaders each week about the issues that move our industry forward around the confluence of digital and human advice. This week, I'm speaking with a longtime friend and colleague, Steve Gresham. Steve is someone who knows more about the issues around the future of financial advice than just about anyone I could think of in our industry, other than maybe myself. We spent a lot of time going back and forth on this. You'll hear some of that back and forth as we go today. Quick background on Steve, he's a former EVP at Fidelity where he led their retail strategy. He is currently the CEO of The Execution Project, where he works with leading wealth and asset management firms, insurance and annuity companies, and fintechs to help them in the build and development of what all firms are working on these days, comprehensive wealth management platforms. He works closely with a wide variety of industry leaders and their firms on these issues, and we'll get into all of that in our conversation. So, Steve, welcome back to WealthTech on Deck.
1: Thanks, Jack. Great to see you
0: again. It's only been a day, hasn't it? So. <laughs> <laughs> Steve and I speak frequently. We'll get into some of that as we try to uh, help the industry set its course. So, Steve, you're frequently featured in the media following an article I saw you wrote for one of the magazines. I know you write for a few. I invited you to come back on our show so we could discuss the challenges of building comprehensive wealth management platforms. As you well know, that is the thing. That is what everyone's talking about. We both observed they struggle to do that, so we're going to see if we can't sort that out a little bit. So let's start with you telling our audience about the work you're doing and really why you have a front row seat to what's going on. And then we'll talk about what you're doing to help firms accelerate their progress in building these wealth management platforms of the future. So Steve, talk a little bit about what you're doing, then we'll get into how we'll fix it.
1: Yeah, Jack, thank you. So for the most part,
0: I do what I've always done
1: because I don't really know what else to do which is to connect the different capabilities together to be able to improve the ease of doing business for advisors and then ultimately for the benefit of the consumer. We call them clients, but they're increasing their consumers because they're picking off lots of little bits of what we do and not necessarily finding it easy or all in one place. And so I concentrate right now in the areas of opportunity, which I would refer to as the reverse Pareto or the other 80% of the clients that don't seem to have that level of engagement with an advisor or an advisory firm. And since most of those assets and most of that opportunity and certainly most of the profitability is connected with this move toward retirement or protection away from investing, then I focus primarily on protected income on financial wellness, and then on liquidity and credit. And so that seems to be the bag that people want.
0: And you also want to talk a little bit about the work you're doing with Next Chapter, because you really have brought together a lot of industry leaders from a lot of different kinds of firms and really trying to create a movement around how to what's called Next Chapter, because the folks that are moving into retirement need, need a lot of help, and frankly, they're not getting
1: it. Well, that's right. I mean, if you're a new retiree, this is a new experience for you. Becoming retired, you've never done it before. And so take that blow it up by 76 million people, plus all the people that are dragging around and either aging parents or or adult children along the way. And you've got about two thirds of America connected one way or another to the aging and retirement life. And retirement's really not the first word that most of them use. I mean, it really is a next chapter because there is, in many cases, there is the desire to do something different. And sometimes there is the need to continue working depending on their circumstances. So that's why we talk about Next Chapter. And It's sort of a floating gypsy tent with all of the people that we've collected over the years. So we're now about 60 companies, 120 people. And these are very senior leaders that uh, we're talking to. So I encourage everybody to follow what what these people are saying on the Next Chapter LinkedIn page and on the website at at the executionproject.com.
0: Great. So uh, I'm a member of your executive board for Next Chapter, along with a number of other industry luminaries, people like John Thiel and Riley Etheridge and Ken Dykewald and Noreen Beeman and Cheryl Nash and a whole bunch more, Ian Ackerley and many more. So we had a board meeting and Ken Dykewald shared some research that some may have seen a little bit of about, but he shared some new research that basically... Underscores how what trouble people are in, at least in their own mind, and frankly, financially as well. I want to talk a little bit about sort of as a cornerstone element or a predicate to what we're going to talk about next. They don't feel so comfortable where they're at, and they're looking for solutions. So why don't we start with some of the Dykewald age wave research and then talk about what we need to do about it. Yeah, so some of
1: the things that that Ken brought up, and I think it's really important to understand that these are manifestations, Jack, as you said, have been trending for a while. You know, one of the side jokes that I've always had with Ken Dykwald, who coined the term age wave in 1989, is that he has been talking about something that's now finally arrived. So I don't know if that makes you a great forecaster or if that makes you a terrific surfer, because when you know the wave is going to break, you're going to jump on it. So he's doing a really good job, though, of helping to define where we need to look more closely. One of the issues that I saw the other day that you and I were looking at in this research is that there's been a shift from the the almost maniacal focus on the cost of healthcare as being the number one concern of retirees. It's an enormous issue, but inflation has actually taken over at the number one spot. Now, that hasn't really been an issue except for these people who might remember in their Wayback Machine that in 1980, the first year I was in the business, that inflation was 13.5% and you could get 15% in a T-bill. So that's just a different world from where we are today. But the resurgence of that concern and the power with which it has arrived and the fact that it hasn't been around for so long does kind of tip over the apple cart as you're moving through your retirement. And I guess the second one that always... Uh, finds its way through, no matter how much we try to ignore it, is that there is a significant difference between the level of confidence that is held about retirement by women versus men. It's a 17 percentage point differential. And even though it has for both groups, for both genders, it has declined in the last couple of years, that 17 percentage point differential remains. So it's actually gotten... It's a bigger and bigger issue and that's critical because these are the people who are going to own most of the dough and make most of the decisions.
0: Yeah. There's some other research separate and different from Ken's and that's Franklin Templeton worked, uh, I think it was with Gallup, and did some study. We had Jackie Reardon, who works with Franklin Templeton, also involved with Next Chapter, as is Franklin Templeton, the firm. And one of the things that they found, a key finding they came away with, which is that people don't think of it as retirement. They think of it, their objective is not to retire in the classic sense of playing golf in Florida, but rather, and that may include that or not, but really it's about financial independence. I know Ken found had similar but different findings along the same lines, that really people want financial independence financial independence, and they recognize that it's up to them to figure out what that means for them. And it's, so, it's highly personalized, an overused term in our business currently, but really, that's what it's about. People want a personalized experience. And then their situation, everybody's situation obviously is quite different, and, and then they're trying to figure out how to go about it. That all said, what next chapter, a lot of the work that you're doing with the various firms you work with and the various colleagues across the industry that you're working with, certainly with with next chapter is, how do we help people? fulfill on that opportunity to enjoy financial independence, because right now they're scared to death, inflation being the lead. And there is a differential for sure between men and women, but they're not comfortable. And the political scene, just the wars, though, you go through the list. It's just everything has them in a state of just being not comfortable and so really up steps where you and I often spend a lot of time talking to the firms that we work with how do you bring together digital and human advice how do you bring it together in such a way that the advisor is empowered to have a personalized experience with that client address their issues solve their problems make them feel more comfortable so talk a little bit about that because you do a lot of work across the spectrum with lots of different types of firms, with lots of different products and, and services. But it all comes back to how do you coordinate all of that in such a way that the experience is one that is comforting, ultimately, uh, and then also produces a, an enhanced outcome?
1: Yeah. So, Jack, I think you actually put your finger on the word that I think is most critical, which is coordination. And we used to say connectivity, and we used to say all kinds of stuff. But you know, the reality is everyone sees a situation, and they see it differently and it ultimately is based on the self interest of the organization that they have so it's fascinating to bring 60 companies together in next chapter have discussions about what we think is going on and then try to plug into what could be the right solution and i you know i have to say that every place that i've ever worked the only times we ever really made progress was when we achieved a level of humility that said you know what it's quite possible that we are the ones that are the problem. And I can tell you that working with Kathy Murphy and the team and the personal investing division of Fidelity, I mean, that was a rock and roll story. But there was never, ever a day where we ever blamed anybody else. If there was something that didn't work right, we looked at ourselves first. And I can't remember a time when the answer was anybody other than us. So... That's where you got to start. The connectivity thing has become a little bit more complicated also because not all of these different players operate with the same level of urgency. And so there are some that are quite happy with the way things are because they're separated a great deal from who the actual client is, and in some cases, the advisor. So... The other challenge of it is, is that if you are really comfortable with where you are, you're not going to be busting anything to try to innovate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, as you point out, that innovation is very difficult because when these component parts are owned by different players that have different levels of self interest, different levels of motivation and different levels of speed to action, it is extremely difficult to find the ringleader that is going to pull them together. And so some of the success stories that you see are actually the functioning of sort of a benevolent dictator who says, this is the way it's going to be. And it is very interesting to see that the most successful examples of that kind of operation are not that person trying to describe the way they think things should be. They are instead advocating for a client, a consumer, an advisor someone for whom they are trying to make all of this
0: simpler and easier. So, let's dig into that because you and I have talked a good deal about this. And that's, it. sometimes uh, characterized as it's an advisor adoption issue. In other words, we've created all this cool stuff, all these tools. I'll drop that for a moment. And then I'll add another piece that we tend to come up with solutions that are not connected. In other words, we come up with a product, we come up with a FinTech tool we come up with, whatever we come up with, and but they're not coordinated. And, and clearly with this notion of comprehensive advice platform or comprehensive wealth management platform is predicated on the idea that everything's connected and coordinated and, and enhances one another. We're on a journey and we're early in the journey, frankly, as an industry around that. But talk about that, because you deal with a lot of firms, whether it's in lending or whether it's with protected income, and there's a variety of different ways, different types of firms, retirement and the retirement space. How do you start connecting those dots? How do you work with firms to engage the advisor? How do you get that advisor adoption? Because if the advisor doesn't adopt it, the client's not going to hear about it.
1: Yeah, so there's a couple of different aspects of that because I'm not sold on the idea that the advisor should be the one that is driving the solution all the time. That seems to me... As a kind of a gating mechanism, we're never going to be able to grow and engage with the number of people that we need to if we have to wait for a human to prioritize that in their day. And you know that our friend, John Thiel, has got a lot of horsepower around this topic when he talks about the ability of an advisor to have the right kind of incentive to be able to plow through what really has become an enormous number of clients. You know, one of the things we don't realize in full service a lot of the time as compared to the big platform providers, is that in full service, as advisors retire or they leave or they do whatever they do, you end up with a lot of those kind of residual client relationships and those get shipped around to whoever is left. And some of the people who've been around for a long time have books that are something in the 75 to 80% range of people that they've inherited somewhere along the way. And since they didn't start that relationship, chances are they've not really dug in and completed it. And now that most of those big firms are banks, it is really, really important for them to be able to hold on to that base. So what I think we're angling for, again, you and I have talked about it a lot. I think we're angling toward a world where a lot of the work will be done at the high end by advisors, Now you start to envision a pyramid with three different levels of service. This is what we ended up doing at Fidelity, with the retail business. At the very high end, you have that bespoke fiduciary consulting work done by a top advisor. All the way at the bottom, you've got a do-it-yourself solution. Some would say robo. I would say get over it. It doesn't matter. And then the middle area is the one that's by far the largest, as the middle always is. And that is where you have advisors and brokers and product companies kind of popping in and out with ideas in the moment. And a lot of that is driven by the demand and the behavior of clients. They're not really engaged in the in-depth planning. They don't really want to spend enormous amounts of time working through all the choices. They're really a little bit more episodic. And they hit it when they need it, and then they hop back out again. It's sort of the way people are also digesting personal health care. There's a strong parallel here. But I think what's going to happen is you're going to continue to see this segregation. And that's critical because if you're trying to provide product services, advice, whatever it is, you're going to want to be able to preserve the resources needed to do it at the high end. That has to come at the expense of something else because you just don't have the bandwidth. And so being able to automate some of the things that are done by humans actually becomes priority one. Instead of having technology come in to handle the stuff that's sort of pedantic and boring to people, Does that makes sense.
0: Yeah, totally. And you and I have talked about this a good bit. And you know the folks at Morgan Stanley, as as we do as well at Lifefield, they're our, our biggest client and have a front row seat of what they're doing. And everything I'm about to share is is all public information. It's been in the press and so on. So nothing, uh, no secrets here. But really what they've done, they've purchased E-Trade. They have a Morgan Stanley online, so the direct-to-consumer is, is in place. And there's advisors certainly with E-Trade, but you don't have to use one if you don't want to. Their wealth management business is classic in terms of how the typical New York stock exchange type firm has operated for years. And they've, of course, built out a robust technological infrastructure to support that, actually all of these. And then yet another way that they touch the marketplace is their, what they call Morgan Stanley at Work, which is their 401k defined contribution business. Their attitude is, however you want to come to us, we're here to serve you. And they're using common capabilities, technological, operational, trading, all the rest of it, capabilities, that all each, all, each of the elements are being refined. But the key thing that they're doing, a lot of people are paying close attention to what Morgan Stanley, because they in my mind the clear leader. We from our seat to a lot of people, including all the all the biggest and best. I I, I would argue uh, what they've done so well is they recognize that it doesn't matter how you come to them and how you want to operate. To your point, at the pyramid earlier point is that you can operate any way you'd like and we'll take care of you in just the way you want to be taken care of, but we're going to have the the speediest, we're going to have the most efficient, we're going to look at things like taxes and risk, and we're going to look at all the kind of stuff that you need to consider, and we're going to incorporate it into a household level portfolio. So, if you'd comment, they're a good example, you don't have to talk about them necessarily, but this notion of moving toward a coordinated activity, I know you do a lot of work with uh, firms of the protected income front. I know they're moving in that direction uh lending is becoming part of that that whole ecosystem that we we're describing here. So talk about how the elements turn into a coordinated ecosystem, because we are in motion. And and Morgan Stanley would tell you, they're still in motion. They're not, they have a lot more to go further along than anyone else, arguably, but a lot more to go in pulling all this together. But from your perspective, you you work with so many leaders, how are they responding to what seems uh, just an imperative that the industry is moving this way?
1: Well, so it's interesting. So I use an analogy, which I am prone to do from time to time. And so, you know, there is a way for you if you were building something and you had all the parts on the floor and, and you have the directions and you're looking at the directions and you've got all those parts and you directions, the parts. I always look at the box that all the stuff came in because I want to see what the thing actually looks like because some of it makes more sense instead of all the, this, multitude of parts, and even the very clear directions. So you look in the box to see what the thing looks like. This is the hardest part, I think, of all wealth management, retirement, and solutions delivery. There is no easy way for the people who are building the stuff to see what it's supposed to look like when it goes in the hands of the user. So it's a very, very difficult thing to be the advocate for a client but man, is it critical because the best way to build any of these services, and I'll, I'll give you a story uh, from a, a very senior leader that shared with me yesterday. You know, as a uh, friend of mine, uh, David Dittenfess, who's CMO of Fidelity, said the act of true customer centricity is an act of extreme humility. And I think about that almost every day, because if you know what you are solving for, you will identify all of the problems along the way. And you and I both know that, unfortunately, a great number of terrific business successes began with somebody building it the way they wanted to. You know, the classic line from Henry Ford, you can have any color as long as it's black, you know, for the initial Model T. You know, they've refined the view a little bit since then, but that was the way they got the stuff to market. Now, you could say the same thing about a whole bunch of different financial products that have gotten significantly easier to use. But the initial thing that was built was probably built, and and I'll say life yield is a really good example of this, something that was really built with significant intellectual and mechanical integrity, but people would look at it on the outside and say, like, what the hell? And so when you solve the what the hell part, you know, which you've done at your place, that's when it starts to make sense. So again, now we're saying to a wealth management firm who built a product or whatever it is, and and several of the Morgan Stanley capabilities are like that, they're basically trying to follow the target client. Who is the exact target client? The primary success we've had in our organization in the past two years has been because we have been working with our clients to ruthlessly, ruthlessly research The absolute very, very best targets for, as you pointed out, protected income, for liquidity and and security, and also now for wellness. Because if you can solve for the needs of those people and you don't get hung up in trying to connect a product to them immediately, you will actually become that person, that firm that can connect with them. And I want to say firm because there's not enough advisors in the world to connect in this way with everybody. But if you understand those six personas for protected income or those four for securitized lending, you will be able to then create your engagement strategy that is consistent with those people. And that's really what what we learned at Fidelity by being able to create the personas that would then allow us to galvanize our offering. You don't have to solve for 20 people. You have to solve for the people who most want what you are delivering so that you can guide yourselves coming in. The rest of them will actually take care of themselves because if you solve for them, it can't help but benefit the others.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a corollary. One of the things that lifefuel has been around a long time, 14 years now, 14 and a half years. One of the things we've talked about forever, so what we do is we generate tax alpha. So that's fundamentally what we do. We do it by managing multiple accounts. You can't, by the way, generate tax alpha fully unless you consider multiple accounts, just how it is. Tax harvesting is great but limited. And it's not the end all be all. It's, it's frankly quite limited if you really look at it carefully. But if you do all the other ones, that's the location and transitions and rebalancing and blah, blah, blah. If you do all that stuff, you're going to improve outcome and you can, you can measure it. So we've talked about this forever. People agree, You know, everyone hates to pay taxes. And yeah, we should do something. We've got a nice client list and they've, they've all gotten onto it. But boy, let me tell you, when the markets go down, a lot, like they have this this year, and in, in in a way that feels out of out of control. And then you have, and the bond market has gone down a lot. And you've got inflation that's like, where'd that come? We we don't do inflation anymore. Last time was when you and I got started in the business. It was the last time inflation was an issue. You put all that together, all of a sudden taxes are kind of important. Because it's one of the few things you can control. It's the biggest expense. But to your point, and you do this with the various products and firms that you work with, let's find out what the issue that people are trying to solve for to get them started on the right path so that this whole concept of the comprehensive approach can then make more and more sense. We do have a mentality. I'd love your comments because you and I grew up in the business doing this. We've led organizations in this regard. We tended to come up with the latest, greatest product and tell you why it was so great and you ought to want it. And that's fine for things like because you were you were at the, the the dawning of SMAs and later UMAs and so on. The time came; it took a little while to convince and promote and all the rest of that sort of stuff. And now it's just sort of standard. People just that's what you do. It's how you manage money. It's you know the advisory approach. They again, you were a real one of the forefathers, if you will. Point of all that is that now it's not so much that a product's going to solve it. It's it's about how you incorporate that into that whole. Approach that coordination that we talked about. So take it home for me if you will.
1: Yeah, so now let's go back into the dark ages when we were painting on the cave walls and talking about <laughs> performance and the transparency of portfolio holdings and not having commissions in a portfolio. and you know, and I remember almost getting fired at least twice from two different firms for having that kind of outrage in front of people. So you know, but now AUM is the standardized way for being paid to do investment management, wealth management, powered the entire industry. And now, of course, at some point, that's going to be challenged and it's being challenged now because it doesn't guarantee an outcome. And so where the world has shifted now is that we need outcomes. So yes, you've got me on the investing track as a person heading toward retirement. Now you have to protect me because I now see that I've got a finite runway. I've got stuff that I think is going to carry me for part of the way, but I'm not really sure because I don't know how long I'm going to go, which is one of the reasons why, as I tell you all the time, Retirement planning is actually a fraud because most of the real questions that people ask cannot be answered because there is no way to get the answers. You know, how long are you going to live? Well, is that important? Yeah, it sure is because you can either stretch it or you can really just, you know, well, enough said. So I think what's happening here and where we're trying to go as an industry is to try to integrate, or the word you used before, connect these things. And the reason we do it is because that is the standard of care that has been requested and soon will be demanded by both the clients and the advisors. And someone will do it. We know that if the demand is there, and there certainly is margin in financial services, enough to attract all kinds of of innovators It's really amazing to me that some of the stuff has not been better connected up until now. So I don't think that that situation is going to pervade for much longer because it's just simply too important for people to be able to do that. But as I said, this is one of these shifts. And I really do think this is the biggest shift in the industry since we were moving from stockbrokers to managed assets. So this one moving from those managed assets to protection is a very, very complicated step because some of those products are more complicated. The solutions that are there are more complicated. But to your point, Jack, they are not connected in the planning process. It is not really easy to see how you could get the leverage of buying an annuity product to be able to protect against longevity risk. It is hard to determine whether your long-term care will kick in at a particular time and what that will look like. So, But there is a huge future in protection and being able to provide protection because ultimately that's what wellness is is protection it's peace of mind
0: yeah and I'm going to I'm going to enhance your connected to just elevate a little bit quite a bit actually to coordinate because connected and integration kind of in my mind kind of the same coordinate is, is taking all those factors like protected income as an example and the from the accumulation side with a lot of the guarantee type products that come out of the insurance industry for the accumulation side as well. Both of those should be a part of, we're actually doing some work with some groups right now along those lines where protected income and enhanced accumulation through tax deferral are part of that planning process. You increase the capacity of how you grow your assets through a, say, low cost variable annuity like an IOVA or then when it comes to income, We've been doing some work with others that measure what the sentiment is, what the what people are looking to do. Uh, Wade Fow and company, in particular, that are looking at ways to determine what kind of what level of protection do you want. So we're doing some interesting work, very much in line with what you're doing, Steve. We've talked about this, but the whole idea is that we're moving toward how do you incorporate that, how do you coordinate all of that in such a way that you're getting a better outcome, and that better outcome includes peace of mind. So I know we're on the same page on this sort of stuff, and. We fight the good fight each and every day, try to get folks to join us in this battle. But I really appreciate your being on the show. I don't know if there's any last words before I go for my two favorite questions, three key takeaways, and something personal that you'd like to share. But before that, anything before we close out our discussion for today, anything to add on what we've been talking about?
1: Yeah, I think you're exactly right about coordination. You know, if you were to find somebody to help you do things differently than you're doing today, you would probably have a whole bunch of activities and you'd say, I'm not getting the results I want from those activities. And I, I doubt you would hire somebody that was going to be the connector. What you would hire is somebody that's called the coordinator and they would coordinate on this new initiative. I had this conversation, as you know, with Ben Huneky the other day at, at Morgan Stanley and And I said, you know, we want to do something different. The the issue is trying to to collect these assets that clients have got scattered all over the industry. When you start talking about improving their level of protection, those assets come right home to roost. And so we have to talk about that. And that's why I do think that it's going to be not just the advisor anymore. I think the advisor needs to leverage their firm so that the firm can help get those clients lined up. That was the biggest lesson we learned at Fidelity. And there's a few trillion reasons to say
0: that it worked. Yeah. And actually at, at Morgan Stanley again talks about this uh, frequently as they should, they should be very proud. They're the fastest growing net new asset in the industry and they're doing it because of all the things we're talking about. They are coordinating all that we're describing and guess what? They're winning more rollovers. They're winning more assets. They're overseeing more of the client's net worth because they do a better job. They're coordinating all the things that we've been describing. So, Our time grows nigh and time to to move on to our two final questions. Steve, what are three key takeaways you'd like to leave our audience with as we uh, wrap up our discussion for today?
1: Well, you know, brevity for me is unusual, but, you know, what I'd like to leave you with is humility, complexity, and unity. Wow. We already talked about humility. Without humility, you will not be able to solve the challenges that we've talked about and you will never build a connected platform. It just will never happen. If you don't think that you're actually most of the problem, you do not possess the level of open mind and imagination and creativity needed to put all these parts together. The second one is complexity. If you cannot acknowledge or manage the level of complexity associated with this stuff, you will never, never achieve the objective. That is my number one complaint of senior management in these companies. They do not recognize they are part of a connected ecosystem in order to reach their greatest goals, and they do not have intellectual curiosity to investigate the connecting parts. Therefore, they will. If you cannot understand what you are trying to connect to, you will never be a good connected party. So, and we can say that about next chapter as well because that's also about connection. Just happens to be human, and then the third one is unity, which is that there is a really, really, really big difference between alignment which we hear all the time, and you referenced a second ago, there's a big difference between alignment and being on the same team. You know, To beat up an old analogy, if you were to have a high-quality bacon and egg breakfast, you could say that the chicken is aligned, but the pig is committed. And so that's our problem. I think when we start to actually work on this stuff, there are people who are aligned. I see that in companies. I've got a meeting today. It's going to be about getting better aligned. And it's not. You have to be on the same team. You cannot be on aligned teams. So, you know, so with respect, humility, complexity, and unity. Love it.
0: So my favorite question that we ask each week, love to hear the latest version because you've been on a couple of times. So you're going to have to cook up something new. And I know you got plenty of interests outside of your day work. What are some things that uh, people might find interesting or surprising that you do when you're uh, not changing the world in the financial services industry?
1: Well, I'd like to be able to tell you that we just had some great stuff come out of the woodshop, but I have to say that the last three weeks have been dominated by working with FEMA insurance companies and just kind of trying to be moral support for my 88-year-old mother who had her retirement. As you know, Jack, you know you were in my wedding. My mom is a tough lady, and so she had everything all buttoned up. My father was a great, great provider from the perspective of making sure everybody was taken care of. And he passed away a few years ago, but she had four two-life annuities from the universities he worked for, and she had his New York State pension, survivor annuity from that. So she had five checks coming in a month, more than she could spend, and her life was idyllic. Unfortunately, the idyllic life she chose was on Sanibel Island off of Fort Myers in Southwest Florida, and her house is trashed and she won't be able to reoccupy of course, along with thousands of her neighbors. And that's a drag because, you know, you think you got it figured out. And I'm telling you, every one of us is right around the corner from some kind of retirement curveball that could just punch you in the face. And, and,
0: you know, we're living the dream. Well, a lesson, a uh, sad lesson to uh, to behold, but that's what can happen. And that's why I think so many people are so uncomfortable. But hopefully our, our listeners and will join you and I in hoping to save the day. So. Once again, Steve, great to uh, spend time and to get caught up and share your views and, and allow me to share some of mine. I managed to sneak some of that in there. So with that in mind, for our viewers, if you have enjoyed our podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and or share what we're doing here at Wealth Tech on Deck. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again, Steve. It's been a great pleasure. I can't wait for our next conversation.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Jack. Good to see you again.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Wealth Tech On Deck, our ongoing conversation about improving financial outcomes for all. This podcast is brought to you by LifeYield and produced by Reverb. Subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with our host, Jack Sherry, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And for more information about our perspective on the future of financial advice, visit our website at lifeyield.com.